Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast, release date the 22nd of May, 2022. This is Sherlock Holmes, sir. I am his biographer and friend, Dr. Watson. A mighty fine thing to make the acquaintance of you both. I, sirs, am Ephraim Gill. Welcome, Mr. Gill. You got my note, Mr. Holmes? I did. And I see by your countenance that those matters at which your correspondence only hinted weigh heavily indeed upon your mind. They surely do, sir. Take a seat. We have drink, if you will have one, and we would be most interested to hear your story. Benji. I'm Benji Clifford. Yes. He's Nick Briggs, or is he Sherlock Holmes? Ooh. Find out in this Big Finish <laughs> podcast created for you for the love of stories <sighs> and packed with news on our latest audio drama. Benji and I will be chatting about nothing. Well, actually, the aforementioned Sherlock Holmes in just a few moments' time. <laughs> Following that, the good review guide, this week we're talking about the War Master Killing Time. The streets boil with panic. They whisper the Empress has gone mad. It's a bit hard on time, isn't it? Then we're off behind the scenes with Sherlock Holmes, the fiends of New York City, hearing from the brilliant writer Jonathan Barnes, the great director Ken Blent- Blentley. <laughs> Blen- Blen- Blentley. Yes, Ken Blender, Ken Bentley, uh, plus, um, it's, and other kitchen utensils, uh, plus Richard Earl, who makes a superb Dr. John Watson. I'm Richard Earl. And I play Dr. John Watson. Following that, it's once again time to open your ear inbox with listeners' emails. Sent to podcast at bigfinish.com, overflowing with electric male marvels. <laughs> yeah. In our also available segment, we're investigating the latest in the highly acclaimed saga of The Robots. Inspired by Robots of Death, by Chris Poucher, of course, you know, with Tom Baker and Starring Nicola Walker and Claire Rushbrook. And we focus on The Enhancement by Aaron Douglas. I am Nicola Walker and I play Liv Chenka. Then the random Moitza Tron will once again be giving you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Here's a time-bending preview of what it might be. You know, old girl, sometimes I think you're probably the finest ship ever to have sailed the vortex. How do we do that? Ooh. Magic. See, it's time travel. Then it'll be time to give you a free 15-minute drama tease of Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City by Jonathan Barnes. Following a melancholy sequence of events which I have recorded elsewhere, we were married shortly before the Christmas of 1900. The event was of a joyous character, well attended and much enjoyed by all. (laughs) I love the way I said Barnes there. It's my best performance ever, I think. Um, Let's talk about Sherlock Holmes. Yes, what a delight. Lovely story to work on. And just just dripping with atmosphere, isn't it? You just, just remind people you did the sound design, didn't you? Yes, I yeah, No, no I, I was Sherlock Holmes, actually. No, yes, I did the sound <laughs> the sound design for this. And uh, music was done by the wonderful Jamie Robertson. Um, just lovely. You know, it was... I, I I always wanted to work on a Sherlock, a Sherlock Holmes. A Sherlock Holmes. A Sherlock Holmes, because I, I really enjoyed the earlier ones. And um, and so I was really delighted when I got a chance to do it because it's just, you know, having uh, Victorian London as your kind of sandbox to play with and build mm. and create is just lovely. It's just, you know, I think Jonathan Barnes is just such a, a great 
uh, writer being able to create this atmosphere and, and have yourself and Richards being able to fill that world with such a great supporting cast as well. Yeah, amazing cast, actually. Uh, is it Juliet Aubrey who plays uh, the seamstress? Amazing. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Who's what just, a class act. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Really good, really good. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you're right what you say about Jonathan Barnes. I think it's, uh, I thank my lucky stars that I just happened to meet him when he was a youngster and give him some advice that he thought was good and it helped him to become a writer. So so he said at the time, I'm, I'm sure he was just, you know, flattering me. Um, but, yeah, it's been brilliant having him come on board to do Sherlock Holmes from the moment he wrote um, the, um, oh, God, what was it called? <laughs> this phrase you could edit this phrase out of so many big finished podcasts oh what was it called the what perfidious called? mariner i know that's that's the to first one to be fair when you, when you say something like what was it called that's a very very specific title to so you know it's 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 not one I could that you see the, so, if it would help I, I could see the cover in my mind's eye <laughs> I could see the cupboard in, in my mind's eye <laughs> the cupboard where I should be locked away um, yeah yeah the perfidious mariner was the first Sherlock Holmes that uh, Jonathan wrote for us and uh, he did such a marvellous job and started immediately cheekily pitching ideas for box sets and stuff I just kind of went yeah let's do that shall we and Ken was on board for it so off we jolly well went well there's such yeah. that you know they're old they're old stories in the sense of you know Sherlock Holmes is 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 timeless Really, and you can just—it appeals to so many different generations because it's just—it's just something that's always been around, isn't it? Really, it's well, yeah, and it's the basis of so much associated with sort of melodramatic, mysterious stories, procedure, police procedurals, and all that. It's the basis of all that, really. It really is. It's where we—it it all comes from, and you know, and and also whether people are willing to admit it or not has a huge influence on Doctor Who as well this kind of strange aloof slightly unknowable main character who seems to know everything but also is fallible um you know that's a description of Sherlock Holmes and it's also a description of the Doctor in Doctor Who isn't it so. it, abs it absolutely is and I think you know the, the wonderful thing about Sherlock Holmes is before you fully get into Sherlock Holmes you, you assume he is this this fantastic detective which he is uh, and this hero but it's only really when you go in and you unpeel the layers you can really see how, just how fallible he is and he's he's, board, he's borderline crazy um, yes, and yes. hyperactive and just you know manic I suppose is the term rather than hyperactive but he's he's up and down but he's just you know a fantastic mind and it's just wonderful to listen to uh, and they've got I think they've got a wonderful pace I think it's just got that one minute you can be very subdued and it's very you're you're in the atmosphere of you know Victorian parlor the next minute you're racing and it's it's there's no time to lose and it's got that wonderful it can change gear very quickly which I like yeah and and the brilliant thing is that Jonathan Barnes has he does all that in his writing but he's also captured the original spirit of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's writing hasn't he he's Definitely. you know you, you feel it's got that style to it it works really well and yet he's given it a slight modern sensibility as well uh no i've just um you know there's more uh sherlock holmes from us planned just in case you were worrying about that folks um so some 
some exciting stuff hopefully coming up that we'll be recording i think later this year yeah honestly it's worth getting on and i'll i will say this so um because my parents were going to Peckham Rye, actually. And they were driving to Peckham Goodness Rye. Me. And I know. And I, so, of course, I said, well, I said, if you're, if you're driving to Peckham Rye, then you're going to have to listen to The Seamstress of Peckham Rye, which is <laughs> another Sherlock Holmes that, that we've um, we put together. Which and we is got one, an award for. The good uh, thing, uh, oh, uh, yes. Did we? Yes, I think we did. But, um, but they don't listen to a lot of audio drama at all. They're not audio drama people. Um Although I remember my mum, when I was very young, did we did listen to Time of the Daleks. I forced her to listen oh, to that. Oh, really? Goodness yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but she, um, they, they both listened to it on the way up, and they loved it. They really enjoyed it. Um, they were really excited to, to listen to the rest of it when they were coming back. And, they, you know, and I thought that was nice, that it, it gave people that don't necessarily listen to audio drama in the same way that our audience does, because we've got a very wonderful, committed audience that listen to all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's nice. It's a, it's a good one. It's a good gateway into audio drama. It's also quite a good little stocking filler. It's a kind of nice. You can give it to somebody, and they yeah. will, and they will be able. Quite to, awkward to have it in your stocking while you're walking, but well, um, it might it might get in the way. Yes, quite right, or slip down. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Can I just I'm, say I directed and did the music for Time of the Daleks? Did you know that? Did you really? It's a funny. It's a funny story actually. It's a really bizarre one. I, I can imagine it's quite bizarre for um, for somebody who's not uh, listened to a lot of audio drama because it's Daleks and sh- uh, and um, Shakespeare and it's great fun. I really enjoyed it. Super, super, super. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, time now uh, for our good review guide, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them for you. And as promised, this week we're looking at the War Master, Killing Time. <laughs> Sorry to keep you waiting. Not at all. Barely a moment to myself. Have you ordered? From Big Finish Productions. The War Master, Killing Time. Perhaps the time has come for you to head back to Gallifrey and admit defeat. Defeat? The streets boil with panic. They whisper the Empress has gone mad. I need it here more than ever. They think that the Empire is falling. It is not. It will continue. And so will I. We need to move now. If she's to be overthrown, we need to strike. No, no. It is over. She's won. Are you giving up? I just need to go and pick up a few things. That's not possible. You can't be. You're... You're him. The master. In the flesh. You took everything from me. Now it's my turn to take it from you. Why have you come back? You once told me the truths come out when it's most convenient. Well, it's now most convenient for me. Big Finish. We love stories. Just go to bigfinish.com and type killing time into the search pane to enjoy this masterful piece of audio drama. Mm. Well, first up, uh, SciFiPulse.net, Razor Devereaux. Uh, the Warmaster Killing Time is a brilliantly unapologetic tale. Derek Jacobi shines once again in a story built upon intrigue and psychological manipulation. Oh. 
This box set is I, Claudius in space in many ways. And it's got a, an interesting score here of <laughs> 9.7 out of 10. Now, I'm going to be brutally honest here and say yeah. that that if it was 9.5 out of 10, yes. I'd, I'd be more relaxed upon this. But because we're, <laughs> we've gone over the 5 and we're, we're gauging very strongly towards the 10 now. Yeah, round it up. Round yeah. it up to a 10 out of 10. So, Razor well, is 10 out of 10. Sorry, just that I don't write the yeah. rules. I make them. Um, whatever that means that, yes. I, I do write the rules actually I don't yeah, write them down them, I just make no, them in my head it's you know, all done from memory isn't it absolutely it's you know <laughs> it's <laughs> I, uh, I th- the new reaction I'm going to do to the marks is to just uh, make a noise hmm. so my noise for that is <laughs> there we go um, I also you may have noticed that <laughs> that I uh, highlighted unapologetic in red I certainly did yes because I just I think that's a great word for a review isn't it unapologetic oh it's 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 a fantastic word unapologetically might I say we all want to be unapologetic but we all spend our lives going oh sorry sorry, sorry. I mean I wonder if I could it's nice to be unapologetic yeah get out of my way I'm sitting here right next <laughs> up uh indiemacuser.co.uk Jacob Licklider says overall that's the overall an, uh, alert. <laughs> I think put them on, one. walk yeah. around. Just put me overalls Get on painting. That's not good. Okay. Um, the Warmaster Killing Time is another tapestry showing a plan of Derek Jacobi's always wonderfully evil Warmaster. James Goss and Lou Morgan have crafted the story of how a society can fall by one man with an ability to put the right words in the right places, somehow being both prophetic and incredibly prescient to the current state of the world. A must listen. Nine out of ten. My reaction to that. I do that! <laughs> <laughs> That was a man slip, slipping on a rug or something. <laughs> I've no, can I just say, before I do these noises, I have no idea what they're going to be. So some of them might be quite alarming. And I'd like to apologise uh, to listeners of a nervous disposition. <laughs> Well, there's extra noise there. <laughs> Got that one for free. Do we get any coupons? It's um... a free noise coupon. You, <laughs> Thank you, you very rip much. it open and it just goes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an evil spirit coming out there. <laughs> it's haunted, you know. Well, warpfactor.com, Matthew Cressel says even after six sets, uh, The Warmaster continues to be one of Big Finish's most gratifying series. It's most gratifying. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes Can't complain. Ranging from political intrigue to devastating reunions mm. killing time is another triumph for the warmaster range Excellent. and whilst it may hit a tad too close to current events for some mm-hmm. even after nearly a year's delay in release for those who enjoy good drama with a sf twist sci-fi, science fiction um this set comes recommended oh wow Blah! was my reaction to that good recommended uh, noise we <laughs> made we made this network.com bad greenland says it's dark, harrowing, intense and fun and teases more to come. That almost rhymed, didn't it? Uh, whether we get an, any continuation of the tales told here, it's a set that shows the master at his most dastardly. And after 2019's The War Master Antigenesis, that's a mean feat. Yeah, he's pretty dastardly in that. I, I remember writing a lot of it. Jacoby is magnificent in each story. You'll love and hate him in equal measure. And that's what a great anti-hero should do. Absolutely is. You know, I must just pay tribute 
to Scott know. Hancock, who um, you know came up with the idea of doing the War Master. I mean, obviously that that master had been introduced in the TV series, but it was Scott who said, you know, shouldn't we? Do something with Derek Jacobi, and, and it was brilliant. And, and great he's move, some, great move. It's good. He's done a fantastic job of it. Just worth noting that you said bad Greenlanders mm. is written here, but I think it's Baz Greenland. Isn't it is, it? yes. But, <laughs> but um, it says, but I only read out what's in front of me. It says bad Greenland. Yeah, it's like the bad, whole, bad. Stop, it, naughty Greenland. <laughs> it's like the whole Tony Filer thing, and and it kept being written as flyer. Tony Flyer's Magic Circus, yeah, yeah, and and yeah, and bad Baz has been bad a couple of times. I'm bad, not, I'm not quite Greenland. sure how. Stop I thought, it, Greenland! Stop it! I thought these get cut and pasted from you know the internet, so but obviously there's a bit of retyping. Anyway, so uh, Alfie Shaw, could you just explain to me what's going on? <laughs> Bad Greenland, bad <laughs> Alfie, bad. Uh, Whoreview.com, uh, Daniel Mansfield, son of Keith Mansfield, says, um, Killing Time is a triumphant return to form for the Warmaster range, pitting the Master against opponents old and new in his quest to take over the stagnant protocol. Mm-hmm. Derek Jacobi puts in one of his finest performances yet, particularly in the last three stories, wherein he gets to show just how horrible the master truly is. <sighs> Whilst Alexandria Riley makes a stunning debut as the dastardly Kalantha. I was going to say Catalina then. It's Calantha. <laughs> That's an aircraft, isn't that it? Is, it is indeed. Yeah. Uh, carrying on here, it says seaplane. Uh, uh, meanwhile, Katie Manning and Sarah Sutton return to their old, much-loved roles from the TV series, bringing Joe and Nyssa back to life faithfully whilst propelling them in directions we've not yet seen for their characters. <laughs> That's right, they went over there to the left. Uh, Among with a haunting atmospheric score from Rob Harvey, all of this comes together to form a really strong set. Highly recommended, four stars. Ouch. Stub the toe there. Yeah, well, that's... Oh, Piers Brosnan arrived to give a reaction there. (laughs) I'll tell you you something. Mm. John, yes. Col- John Colshaw, we were in studio for something the other day. John Colshaw does a fantastic Pierce Brosnan impression. Oh, does he? He really does, yeah. Very, what's, very what's good. What's his method, do you think? What does he do? What's... Well, I, I think he has a couple of vodka martinis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> falls falls on, was it Earl's Court or something? Not Earl's Court. Um, <laughs> Mil- the Millennium Dome jumps onto oh, right. that, falls yeah, yeah. around yeah. Uh, before propelling himself along the Thames. I think that's how he gets into the, into the mode. Wow, well, tomorrow never dies. Um, pitting. Sorry, pit. Well, world, is, world is not enough, actually. Oh, there, yeah, no. I was just randomly quoting uh, a title. Live and Let Die. Yeah. that That's just silly. It's not even the same James <laughs> Uh Pitting. I, I've made a big red note on here, which you don't see, because I just no. put it on just now. Because pitting. Pit, pitting and pitted. That's one of those Doctor Who words, isn't it? Pitting, um, pitted against those foes. Exactly. And I, the first time I encountered it sort of knowingly, maybe they'd used it in BBC continuity announcements, was um, in TV action where there was oh. a little note and it said, and in next week's issue, the Doctor is pitted against the Daleks. And I thought, pitted? What's that? I thought, what, what's he doing? You know, is he in a hole with them or something? In a pit? <laughs> I didn't understand. I had to look it up. Doctor Who's been so responsible for me, you know, finding out about words. It's a, a better it. education than the education system, I think. Where's uh, all those Target novels? You know, is it Toby Haydoke, I think, uh, 
brought this one out for me from Terence Dix was the word capacious. Oh, you know, yeah. you don't, you, you know, words like capacious and curmudgeonly yes. are wonderful words that that really that you don't hear an awful lot. But then when you read the Target novelizations, which I recommend uh, to anybody yeah. um, to do so, that's how I got through library lesson at school. Um, <laughs> I yes, really I did. Said, so, I remember you told us so, about this. Yeah, and, you know, recommend you do so. It's quite a fun way to... And also, what I will say is, um, because obviously they were written uh, after they'd been on the telly, and you, it was before reruns, so you kind of rely upon the books anyway, um, a lot of them are slightly different, and in some cases, oh, yes. for better and for worse. Um, but but I really like that. You know, I, I personally uh, think that the, the Daleks... Um, opening is is better than actually what was on screen i actually prefer oh, well, the were they because well, it was the first ever book and this wasn't you know this was done before the target range and it was reprinted in the target range doctor who in an exciting adventure with the daleks um they thought they had to it was the first doctor who book so they had to write an intro for people who weren't familiar with doctor who so yeah they start it all off on barnes common don't they in which uh ian chesterton as my dear friend Stephen Noonan noted the other day when we were chatting, is not a teacher. Oh. He's a scientist, a sort of industrial yes. scientist. Yeah. How? Yes. I'd forgotten that I've, until he I mentioned completely, it. Yes, you're completely correct. Or rather, Stephen's completely correct. Yeah. I'd love um, to dramatise that section. Gosh, day. I would. I would love to do it. I would love to do the sound of that. I would. I just want to do something. I want to do those. Those. Ah. Oh, yeah. Yes, everlasting yes. matches as well. He has, doesn't he? The doctor's <laughs> matches never burn out. He, yeah, I need some of those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I better go now to the intrigue of Twitterton. Oh, I think uh, so. At Telos Thirty Two says Warmaster Killing Time by Goss Jam Lou Morgan. Another very good set. Hashtag Doctor Who. Oh, Mad Rowan here says <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Mad King. Sorry about um, that. <laughs> Stop it, Mad Rowan. Uh, Killing Time is brilliant. Just another masterpiece box set for the War Master. You better listen to Master of Callus and Rage of the Time Lords. <laughs> Sorry, Mad Rowan there. Um, <laughs> at Grey B, three to, uh, just a big number. I'm not it's reading It's a Grey that. B made of numbers. <laughs> just finished the War Master Killing Time with a very beautiful music suite playing as I type this. What a box set. Great stories and characters. Beautifully done. Thank you all. <laughs> Thank Stop you. it, Mad Rowan. Uh, host production says the beauty of the antagonist lead means the listener is often finding themselves rooting for the baddie. Ten out of ten. Well, I mean, it's, it's Derek Jacobi. You kind of you're going to root for him regardless, aren't yes, you? Yes, he's sort of gorgeous and despicable all at the same time. At Tom Housen one two one eight says the War Master Killing Time from Big Finish by Goss Jam and Lou Morgan is another triumph for this range at a steadier pace and being a lot more character driven than previous sets. As always, Jacobi shines in one of his most evil and cruel portrayals to date! Exclamation mark. Well, the Lola Gay, the Warmaster Killing Time. Uh, I must... Uh, sorry, that, that word's not even in it. I keep going <laughs> back to him being my favourite incarnation of the Master, uh -huh. and I know why. 
Jacoby is so good, you want the master to come out on top. And he really did. Nissa and Joe's stories were so perfect. What a reunion. Brilliant, evil fun. At, oh. at Michael R. Coulson says, spent the evening finishing the Wallmaster killing time. Absolutely incredible, exclamation mark. This range continues to be my favourite series of stories from Big Finish, exclamation mark. There's a lot of shouting going on here. Keep it down, Michael. Stop uh, it. Derek Jacoby. Otherwise, you'll be upsetting old mad Rowan. Rowan. <laughs> Shh. Um, Derek Jacoby's master has got to be the most evil incarnation of the character, and it's a joy to hear how cruel he can be! Exclamation mark. Stop shouting. Gosh. Got a lot of sadists out, out on Twitter yeah. just rooting for the bad guy. Uh, Doctor 909, great drum machine. Um, the Warmaster continues to be the crown jewel in Big Finish's incredible catalogue. Exclamation um, mark. It's like the Argos catalogue. It's incredible. Um, not quite... Not quite um, Oh, what was that one that used to turn up on the doorstep? Freeman's. Ave, Ave, Freeman's and Avon. Uh, I was, thinking. I was Avon. telling my wife about Freeman's catalogue the other day because that's where <laughs> the Doctor Who annual was first available. And it used to come out in the autumn. <laughs> and the Doctor Who annual for the following year would be available to buy through Freeman's catalogue. So I'd force my mother to put in an order straight away. And then you had to wait, you know, several months for it to turn up. Well, so can I just shock you and say that Freeman's still exists? Wow. Still exists. Freemans.com is is the same company, I believe. Other catalogues are available. <laughs> do Freemans still do a catalogue? Freemans has ditched its long-standing catalogue as it looks to turn uh, itself. No catalogues are available. <laughs> oh, there we go. So you can't get one. But it's a, a good company that was founded in Bradford in 1905. But I always used to. It was always really weird that you would have like a, a, a Doctor Who annual coming out one year but it was for the next year and the photographs were always from like two years previously <laughs> so the the 1974 doctor who annual has pictures from 1972 on the front well, that's weird isn't it that yeah. is really weird and the 1975 one has a big picture of the doctor from planet of the daleks i think it is or it might be frontier in space write in and let us know Yes, you catalogists. Uh, Doctor Nine Nine says this has elements which make it an instant classic. Exclamation mark! Uh, from thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, from acting to directing to writing to sound design, this set is a masterpiece. I in, I adore this range. Ten out of ten. I thought you were going to say I ingest this range. I ingest this range. <laughs> very life too. Um, nice, nice slice of cake. Uh, lovely. And, uh, well, a late edition, not in Benji's script, is, of course, an email from Philip Edney from the uh, Sirens of Audio uh, saying, uh, Derek Jacoby usually plays the War Master with such charm and innocence that you can't help but be drawn to him. But in the Killing Time box set, we are forced to see how evil he can truly be when he sets his sights on causing anguish to two characters we love. The set starts and finishes with a continuous story in two parts by the ever-faithful author James Goss. Ever faithful. This is a solid story full of twists and turns and an over-complicated plan as the master slowly realises his evil intentions. The highlight of the set, however, are the two middle stories that occur whilst the master is waiting for his plan to mature. How much pain can he inflict while he has some time to kill? This second story is an amazing script by Lou Morgan and allows Derek Jacobi and Katie Manning to shine. These two highly accomplished actors work brilliantly together. 
The master has never been more cruel and watching our Joe suffer is so disturbing. Joe is put through the emotional ringer and Katie produces possibly her best ever performance, showing, showing such a huge range. An acting master class. See what I did there? Uh. Lou Morgan continues to cause the audience distress as they lead the master to Nyssa, isolated on a space base with a much older Nyssa. We have no idea what her fate will ultimately be, so there is real peril. The story builds in tension throughout, with the final few minutes being some of the most emotionally charged scenes imaginable. Sarah Sutton is amazing as she confronts Jacoby. Killing Time continues the tradition of excellent use of the War Master. Scott Hancock's brilliant hands. He's got brilliant hands. They, you have to wear sunglasses when you look at them. They're so brilliant. Uh, all over this as director, scriptwriter and producer. A must listen. Well, that's a lovely one to finish with, isn't it? That's all for the reviews this week. Next time, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, The Early Adventures, After the Daleks. I'm always after the Daleks. By all... <laughs> Get after them now! And it's by Roland Moore. Come back here, darlings! Come back here! Well, still to come on this podcast, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. And we'll be investigating The Robots 5 with some memory problems on Kaldor in The Enhancement by Aaron Douglas. But first, let us delve behind the scenes with Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City, by Jonathan Barnes. I'm Jonathan Barnes, and I wrote um, this new box set, Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City. Yeah, it's very much a a sequel to The Seamstress of Peckham Rye, um, just as that story was a sequel to its predecessor, The Master of Blackstone Grange. And, you know, I think I hope that you put them together and they form a loose but hopefully satisfying trilogy of stories, really sort of diving into this really interesting period, I think anyway, in the lives of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, after Holmes has returned from the dead, after the tussle with Moriarty and the Reichenbach Falls and, and all of that. Back in London, not yet retired, and to some degree, kind of looking around for diversion, um, looking for another great enemy to battle after his showdown with the Professor. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I play Sherlock Holmes in The Fiends of New York City. Well, this is when Holmes really gets on the trail of the seamstress, uh, even though the previous production is called The Seamstress of Peckham Ryan. This is, this is where he encounters her. Hello, I'm Ken Bentley, and I am the director of Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City. One of the things I like about what, what Jonathan's done is the journey of the seamstress, and she is mentioned in The Master of Blackstone Grange almost in passing. And then in the in the story called The Seamstress of Peckham Rye, she's a classic invisible character, some, somebody everybody speaks about but who we never meet, which is a classic theatrical device and, and brilliantly used. And hilarious that she doesn't feature in the play that is named after her, but does feature in the in the sequel. I, I know it's a not important aspect of what Jonathan's written, but I found it a really charming aspect of what Jonathan's written. We've really built her up for this uh, for this final appearance, so much so that I couldn't I couldn't quite decide whether we should continue to sort of tease her appearance until maybe the end of the first hour of this drama. Um, and then I thought, no, let's just hear her up front. You know, enough with the teasing. 
let's hear her voice, which is why she's in the very first scene of this production. I shall visit with the Colonel later today. The detective I'll leave to you. And once these things are done, our enterprise shall thrive. She's the, the criminal mastermind that's taken over the, the London underworld, so she needs to be an incredibly charismatic and powerful figure and is beautifully written but also brought to life with relish by Julia Aubrey. I mean, the idea behind her is to have somebody who just runs the Victorian underworld completely competently. I mean, one of the very odd things about Moriarty, and he's already a very odd figure, I think, full of contradictions, is how theatrical he is. I mean, he's absolutely the mirror image of Holmes. You know, he's a, he's a proper sort of Victorian penny dreadful villain. So I thought it might be interesting, and I thought it might be in some ways a more subtle threat to have, yeah, the underworld run by someone who was just incredibly efficient. I'm Richard Earle, and I play Dr John Watson. It's like the good old times, really. You've got Watson trying to... He's trying to fight a, a battle on two fronts, his domestic front, and he's also um, mixed up in the in the adventure with Holmes, with the mysterious uh, American, or Americans, as it soon turns out. And before the end, he's, he's helping Holmes break into uh, other properties along Baker Street. He's uh, coming face-to-face -face yet again with Colonel Moran. He's visiting mysterious clubs in the middle of the night. And he's coming face-to-face -face with the seamstress herself, playing Watson this time. It really did feel quite like old times. Wonderful. My name is Tim Bentink, and I play Mycroft Holmes. My first reaction on reading the script was how incredibly like the original Conan Doyle it is. It has, you know, it weaves its way through all sorts of... It meanders around the story and takes you off into different directions. You're not quite sure what's going on until the denouement. And also, there's a thing about Holmes. I actually, a few years ago, I decided I was going to read the entire canon and read all of the Sherlock Holmes stories. And the number of times where Sherlock fails to solve the problem is, I think, forgotten. One has this imagining that from the television version of it, you know, that the man comes in the room and he sums him up and instantly knows, you know, where he was born, what he does for a job, where he's been that morning, you know, all those kind of things. And, you know, there's plenty of that in this as well. But also, you know, Sherlock doesn't actually really do terrifically well in this story, which is completely and utterly in keeping with, um, with the Conan Doyle stories. He, he often doesn't. He often totally fails. But it's entertaining along the way. Before this vanishing, she received a single male visitor, a tall, corpulent gentleman with a distinctly squirearchical air. But that sounds oh, like... Oh, it's Mycroft, right enough. But why? It will form part of a larger plot. Of that I have no doubt. It's so clever, isn't it, in, in that they're as smart as each other, but they're both operating in, in sort of slightly different circles. And, and you, you've got one who's decided to take the... Um, Route of power and influence in, in government, um, albeit not the, the very top job, but um, as well, neither of them have. And, and any other who's who's the, the the black sheep of the family, I suppose, who who sort of spends his his time in the on the streets and in the in the gutter, getting his hands dirty. You've got to tip your hat to Conan Doyle. Really, he he really knew what he was doing in coming up with all of these different characters, didn't he? Just go to bigfinish.com and type fiends into the search pane to find this latest adventure for the great detective. Oh, 
time now for listeners' emails. Well, you don't have to be a great detective to send in an email, no. but it does help because obviously you get to wear the, the deer stalker hat yes, and have true. a magnifying glass and and uh, cool cabs all the time. Yes. Um, cabin. Cabin, please. My man. My man. Um, I always want to say that to people. My man. Excuse me, my man. Um, <laughs> you know, whilst grabbing somebody on the shoulder. Excuse me, my man. Um, but first up, Aniron Hunt doesn't say that. Um, but the subject of this one is, I fell into your trap. Ah! Pitted against. Uh, <laughs> a, tra- a pit. A pit. I fell um, into your pit. <laughs> um, hey, Nick and Benji. Hi there. Um, Hi so there. that Can song... I just say, hold on a sec. In the Sirens of Audio, I just happened <laughs> yes. to, to listen to the Sirens of Audio podcast the other week. And someone wrote into them and said, Hi there big finished podcast <laughs> joke and and Dwayne Bunny didn't know what it meant he said well, oh. I don't know. and I thought Dwayne you're just giving it away that you don't listen to the big finished podcast I said, there. I'm doing an interview with them in a, a couple of weeks time so I'll um I'll absolutely make, make give them, them hell give, give them, them hell, hell about that yeah. hi there Dwayne more like bye there <laughs> um. yeah I could just start the interview saying I'm not doing this because you've totally dissed me <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You have showed your true colours. Um, dear, oh dear. Sorry, back anyway. to an iron, yes. Yes, an iron. Uh, hey, Nick and Benji. Um, Hi there. Uh, <laughs> we just go on a loop now. Uh, uh, so that song that served as a trailer for the new Waterworlds box set, uh, it seems to scratch a certain part of my brain, leaving me vulnerable to purchasing, uh, purchasing this box set. Have you heard it? I haven't, no. Have you seen it? No. With Helen singing about the sick Oh, that song. Fool. Yes, I have. Yes, and it's very, very good. Yes. It's very good. I knew it was Helen almost immediately uh, when I heard the, when I, uh, heard the video. That's yeah, blue. A blue. Oh, and I love and the, the lovely BBC bit with Colin, And Colin at the end. Oh, yes. Yes, that's nice. And the, but the BBC old Globe logo, but with Colin Baker's face on it. I thought that was nice. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. He's very a very fun bit of bit of um, marketing there, but also I, I just think it's so nice that with these little trailers that everybody's having fun and doing it, and it was just so fun to see that well, lovely video. It was, wasn't it? And uh, Jack Rayner, the producer, came up with the whole idea of the song. I think she wrote the song, and then she kind of just got people together to do it. And I will admit now that I was a little bit dubious about it, but uh, Steve Berry, our head of marketing, was very for it, and I just. I was I was won over by greater brains than mine, and I said, "Oh, I'll give it a go then. See, <laughs> maybe too outrageous, but it's really I haven't seen a bad word about it." I just love the little cat that annotates the words. Yes, <laughs> just yes. Little cat badge. I just thought, oh. I if love you it. haven't seen it, folks, get on. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find it on the internet. It's on Twitter, isn't it? It's probably on. Um, uh, YouTube as well. I expect so. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, YouTube. The, that that thing, uh, like a video shop online. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, if not, go to um, uh, Big Finish uh, on Twitter. I have a biscuit. Um, but check it out. It is really, it is really good fun. Um, Carrying on with the email here, it says, uh, definitely is interesting having a wheelchair using companion since you never really think about a lot of what is their daily life. Uh, Being able to walk is taken for granted and you don't really think too much about if a couple of steps exist at entrances. Simply not a problem I have to worry about. 
Uh, I've only listened to the first two stories thus far. Um, one minor nitpick um, is um, earthquakes on the moon, and not called earthquakes, but moonquakes. Iron. Well, there you oh. are. No, no, there you go. I mean, I think you know. There's no need for them to be too scientifically accurate there. And I, my my nitpick is that it's the phrase is nitpick and not nick pit. Which I saw exactly that. Since we're being nitpicky and iron, <laughs> yeah. And you also wrote and instead of are, so we can all be nitpicky if we want. <laughs> so there you are. But an iron, we do love you, and you send in some lovely emails. So. Um, Keep them coming. Uh, sorry for being so horrid just a few moments ago. I refer the honourable gentleman to the horrid remarks I made a few moments ago. Uh, <laughs> it's a little distortion of parliamentary procedure there. Next up, George Hewitt says... Of, of Hewitt Packard. That's right. A company that doesn't exist. Uh, questions and praise. OK, well, it's a promising start, isn't it? Dear Nick and Benji. Hi there. Dwayne. Uh, I hope you're both well. I won't let it go, will I? Uh, I just wanted to ask a couple of questions. Okay. But first to say that I've been listening to the new Sixth Doctor Adventures and have been absolutely blown away. <laughs> Water Worlds. Water Worlds. Is Water a way to have a good time. <laughs> By the way, Jack wrote in and said uh, I, she thought that she was worried that I was calling her a smelly old bin. <laughs> she said, but then I listened more carefully and realised that, that I wasn't doing that. So she let me off the hook there. <laughs> oh, she is brilliant. Waterworlds is a really great box set. So please pass my thanks on to everyone. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Oh, sorry, everyone involved. Sorry, not, not you then, just the ones involved. I'm loving Hebe. That's played by Ruth Madeley. Brilliant. And I can't wait to hear the next volume later this year. I have two questions. Firstly, are the interludes going to be featuring on next year's box sets as well? I believe they are. I'm really sorry if I'm wrong, but I think it's a continuing thing. I think they're really, really a great way to give us an extra slice of Doctor Who and would love if they continue. Well, I think you might love. Maybe there could be third Doctor interludes at some point. Well. Steady, steady, George. Please, can I have some more? No, George. No. <laughs> I don't know. No, we've got no plans for that at the moment. It, it, we're giving you interludes on the releases that used to be, would have, in a former line, <laughs> I'm getting very confused now, um, would have been part of the monthly range. So they're kind of replacement for the uh, subscriber short trips you see. Yeah. VFM, value for money. Also, is there any chance of more Torchwood Soho releases? I'm sure there's every chance. I've really enjoyed the first two, and I know I'm not alone when I say I'd love to hear a third. Well, let's leave that to the Torchwood team to um, surprise you with that. But uh, honestly, the Torchwood stuff coming out is just so uh, groundbreaking and pushing the envelope all the time. Uh, I think it's something that all of us can be very proud of well we got one more here oh from, yes uh, where have Scott. you gone you're nowhere near the microphone come back yeah, yes i was, oh, I was leading are. back yeah, it's my fault my so, fault i've got a i've got another email here yes hi there yeah yes I'm i know I hope <laughs> <laughs> i'm making a cup of tea is that better um uh, sounded like an early dalek then what is this 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 um I know Dear, you yeah. mean one. This is coming up in this. I mean, that's just a normal one that's Dalek, just woken it? up, an early Dalek. <laughs> early Dalek, yeah. And now you'll see an, an, ex, an example of an early Dalek. <laughs> it wears a loincloth and swings from the trees. <laughs> X 
<laughs> Tarzan, his name. Uh, the <laughs> I've 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 descended into madness. I mean, it's the type of thing that can only happen here. Um, Scott A. McPherson uh, says, uh, "Subject: Something in my eye, and the eye of time, brother." Um, <laughs> mayhap. Uh, hi, Nick and Benji. Hi there. Um, hi there. Like many of your listeners, I Dwayne. have been steeped in Doctor Who Ooh. for all my adult life. And over the years, Big Finish Productions have come to represent a significant part of the delicious brew. There was no E on that come, you see, so it sort of did sound a little bit like Cat Weasel. I've come to represent <laughs> a significant part of the delicious brew. Hey, <laughs> Um, In all mediums, I enjoy and appreciate the elements most fans of the show find so captivating. Where is that? No, not now. Um, However, I have never been moved to tears by any story. So imagine my surprise when meeting the Doctor and the Brig in the recent Ninth Doctor release, Way of the Burryman. Um, Apparently caused tears to stream down my face. Aw. Uh, As one who last cried over a decade ago at my father's funeral, um, I suspect my emotional response to this excellently written and performed scene uh, imported the affection I have for both of those well-loved characters. Uh, And for that, I'm extremely grateful with thanks to all involved. Oh, thank you. That's nice, Scott. Thank you. Uh, then again, there might have just been something in my arm. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Step up a little. Very best to all, Scott. That just reminded me, I just wanted to talk about moving moments in Doctor Who. What about you? What are your? What are the moments in Doctor Who history where you just... Where you just cry? Do you cry at stuff, Benji? Or? I, 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 I mean, I'm not, I'm not a massive crier, but I certainly have moments where I can feel very, very emotional. Mm. I mean, the one, the one for me that immediately comes to mind is the Third Doctor leaving, leaving Joe, uh, and just <sighs> the riding death. off, yeah. uh, riding off on his own, and it was just very sad. And it was one of the first times we really see the Doctor, I think, sort of emotionally vulnerable. Yes. We don't see, you know, I mean, you've got that obviously early on when the Doctor says goodbye to Susan and there's a bit of that kind of, you know, I'm doing this, this is what's best for you. But this is the first time we see him just vulnerable, you mm. know, and of mm. course the other time really is um, is when we say goodbye to Sarah Jane because mm. even though it's lighthearted and fun, um, you just don't really want that to happen. You just don't want Sarah oh, Jane I, to I go. can't watch that without crying. I absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because it's just because because you know she she is just such an important part of Doctor Who at that time, and it's just you you they've got such a, that lovely. I think it, I I tell you what it is, Nick. I think it's just because both Sarah Jane and Joe Grant, uh, and and actually Liz Shaw as well. I just think all those companions have such a uh, a closeness in my heart. Yes, that um, that I just I just feel very strongly for them. So I get very upset when I'm thinking about you know them leaving yeah yeah me too and i think the key thing about those two scenes you mentioned is that there is no over emoting it's people uh trying not to show their emotions and that is very often the, i'm not really choked uh that is very often um more emotionally affecting isn't it when people don't just blub when they try when you when you watch human beings trying to cover to. up their feelings yeah and I, th- and I think as a viewer it, you you kind of 
it's not it, it doesn't give you permission to feel upset therefore you feel a bit more upset because you yes. kind of it's that thing of yeah don't you know I'm okay we're fine we're okay but then when you watch it you get you do get quite you know you do get choked up I remember the first time I really remember the first time seeing the doctor leaving Joe and, and heading off and I remember I honestly do remember thinking this is really not like Doctor Who at all this is really this doesn't feel like something I would see in Doctor Who um, it was just a different thing very yeah very very weird and of course the other one just 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 put it in there is mm. of course classic scene with um with the doctor and rose oh know, yeah part, parted i mean that scene I, I you know i i don't think anybody didn't feel something when they yeah, saw no, that and that is an example of a scene where there are actual tears but somehow it still works so you know anything can work as long as it's written beautifully and acted beautifully i would just say also a much earlier example of something and this is to do with the nostalgic con- connection is I, I mean i was reviewing um the war games recently because of uh, Beyond War Games, I was doing some, which is our second Doctor Adventures box set coming out later in the year. Uh, suffice it to say, I had to just check something with War Games, and I um, w- watched episode ten, which is the final episode, and was reminded of the fact that when I first saw it, when I am informed by Stephen Noonan. Uh, I would have been seven and three quarters. <laughs> He's very good at suddenly just working that stuff out. I always forget what my age was at certain times, but you know, he just uses maths, which is the sensible thing. Um, and I watched the last episode of The War Games, can you imagine, not knowing that it was Patrick Charlton's last episode? Because I was just a oh, kid. Gosh. Yeah, and you just wow. didn't know stuff in those days, you know? You just... I, didn't, I didn't know that um, Christopher Eccleston was regenerating. I didn't know about it. Oh, I didn't. Well. I, I kept myself totally out of of anything to do with spoilers. Wow, that must have uh, been didn't incredible. Know, so God, yeah, absolutely, absolutely speechless. Um, so yes, I, but yeah, I can imagine as a child. So there I was, you know, knowing, and yeah. I'd seen, and I kept thinking, you know, that that bit where he does the where Jamie says, "Oh, come on, Doctor, they forgot to put the force field back on. We can get away." And he goes, and the doctor goes, um, yes, mm, and, he, and he's not really trying. And I thought, well, try harder, doctor. You've got to get away. And then they do. And then Jamie and Zoe just leave in such a perfunctory manner. You know, he just says, but bye, you know, I'll miss you and all that kind of stuff. But it, and they just get, you know, there's no emotional maturity in Doctor Who at this stage. So it's very much, yeah, yeah, bye. But somehow that is so affecting to watch. It's like the, the end of the first series of Cat Weasel when he and Carrot fall out and, uh, and you know what I mean? <coughs> you know what I mean? It, when when Catwoman dematerializes, res- so it doesn't feel fully resolved, does it? And that, and, that, and that kind of, in some respect, makes it harder because exactly, you, you, exactly, you, you feel you don't feel it's sort of a definitive end. And then you know, so the whole time you can imagine, I'm watching it and I'm expecting the Doctor to get away or be let off. And then they do. They sentence him to exile and to change his face. And you see him flying down a tunnel with his head missing, basically, <laughs> which is yeah. really uh, quite disturbing. And um, I remember the, the closing, and I know I've told this story on the podcast before, but this is a, a repeat now on BBC One. Um, my mother came in just as the closing theme was on and looked at me in that kind of unsympathetic way that she did every time she saw me watching Doctor Who. What's the matter with you? She said, you know, wow, uh, because she thought, why am I having such a bi-? and I just said, I think Doctor Who just died. And she just went, uh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> wow, that's two very different moods there. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. And I just remember having this moment of very lonely uh, 
upset. Yeah, so and so I when I tried to watch the episode again, I just cried about three times, like full, full <laughs> blubbing because of all of that. And it's you know, it's well, you were transported back. Yeah, you were back to that that little boy watching it, and it's and and you know, you what you were going through there anyway is the first real t- I mean obviously okay the second time then because regeneration and, but the first time the, the programme fully changed its format really oh completely yeah yeah and probably the last time because it went once it's it, you know once it, it reverts back you know to into the Doctor travelling around it becomes the same show that we know to this day really yes you know it didn't really change until I think until 2005 when it became 45 minute episodes but um Obviously, there are different times where it became a two-parter or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the actual format of the show feels incredibly different. Yes. Um, I mean, it was the biggest shift in the actual format at that point. Thank you, yeah. I think so. I know a lot of people don't think that, so sorry for the controversy. Uh, But, uh, yeah. Uh, because But then, of course, the whole Earth-based unit thing has been adopted into part of the essential Doctor Who vibe, hasn't it? And it, it comes in and out of the series from time to time right up until the present day so it just enriched the series but it was a big change it was a big change yeah well it's forced literally forced upon the the uh, narrative as well as uh, you, you can't escape this this is happening you you know it adds a whole other dimension to to the program and and different aspects and i love it i could talk about this all day because it really really well, does and the aspect they, that you know i was talking about here the moving aspect of it you know, i tried to i got my son to watch that bit with me and and of course he just looked at it as this peculiar dry uninteresting black and white thing uh, but i told him that it made me cry and he just you know put his hand on my arm and just went oh daddy you know oh oh that's sweet how patronizing and no uh so you fool you but of course he didn't find it moving at all and because there's there are none of the signals that we now expect in television that tell you that something's moving because you know a lot of old doctor who is a little bit like sports coverage isn't it it's happening and the camera's pointing at it and that's about the the degree of subtlety that was involved but it's, but you know you, you've hit on the, the power of nostalgia just in general and that's the, um, it. but also but also the, the power of investment is being invested in something so you know wholeheartedly and I think regardless of what it is you know if you're invested you know look, this is what makes Doctor Who so wonderful is that to this day you've got people going around who are you know 15 16 years old who are totally invested in classic Doctor Who yeah you know, myself included, when I was 15, 16, I was totally invested in classic Doctor Who. That is, I don't think many other programmes really have that same, you know, Star Trek, I guess, is one of them. People can be totally invested in Yes. In a, but not not a lot of things have that, that lifespan that Doctor Who has and the ability that it can still captivate people. Well said, Benji. And there about. thank you to Scott A. McPherson for uh, raising that point about maybe just having something in your eye um that is it for the emails this week what a lovely bunch of emails there were and i can assure you there'll be another lovely bunch uh, next week some of it will because of you who's listening now yeah you send your lovely email in uh more next time and don't forget podcast at bigfinish.com is the email address to send your emails to stop over explaining 
Thank you. That's what I needed to know. Uh, as always, the Randomoid Selectron is vibrating itself in the background right now. <laughs> uh, getting ready to deliver a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. I was trying to do a vibrating noise. I've only managed to do that. Uh, but before that, it's time for Also Available. And this week, this week's other brilliant release is The Robots and a story based around the concept of memory. Um, well, I've forgotten that now. Um, the Enhancement <laughs> by Aaron Douglas. I am Nicola Walker and I play Liv Chenka. I'm Claire Rushbrook and I play Tula Chenka. You don't have to do it. Well, you've never had a data wraith steal your identity, Liv. After that, I don't mind a bit of extra security. Just think of it as the next step up from fingerprint scanning and vocal recognition. Will it make you smarter, though? I don't need to get any smarter. I've got to give you a fighting chance. Oh, that was good for you. Thank you. Uh, this episode looks at the idea of controlling memory through a chip implanted in the brain. And my sister Tula has one of these chips implanted. And of course, it's not good because if you insert uh, uh, you know, chips into people's brains, uh, there, there are going to be problems, and, and there are problems. Well, I wouldn't know. I don't remember. God, I don't, I don't remember. Don't panic, Tula. We'll sort this, I promise you. And I suppose what's significant is that, you know, she willingly has has this uh, this inserted and, uh, you know, it, it's sold as a good and necessary thing. And, yeah, as Nicola says... Uh, it actually exposes a far darker purpose. Hello, I'm Joe Kramer, and I'm the composer for the robots, and I'm also doing the sound design. We go directly to the Caldor City Police Department, together with our Supervoc correspondent. Correspondence now. <laughs> uh, versatile. I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was a little kid. I remember seeing the show in its half-hour format on American TV. Boy, in grade school, so fifth grade, sixth grade. And, you know, the Tom Baker stories were the first stories that really played, at least where I grew up. So I was totally unaware of the previous doctors. I thought Tom Baker was the only doctor there ever was. And Robots of Death is one of those stories that's etched in my sort of childhood memory of Doctor Who. The design of the characters is so iconic to me, of the robot characters. And that um, greenish color as well, which sort of, for some reason, really spooked me and creeped me out as a little kid. I was used to sort of the bright, gleaming, golden robot like C-3PO or silver robots like the Cylons or, you know, R2-D2 is very silver. But the sort of greenish hue that the robots of death seem to have just really creeped me out. It was actually pretty magical. In one of the series that we did of the robots with Big Finish, Louise Jameson actually uh, directed one of the episodes. And it was pretty exciting, you know. If I could go back in time and tell, you know, that kid that I would get to work with Louise someday, you know, as a fan, that was a real treat. I hoped she was correct. I hoped you'd have remembered. There are times I wish I wasn't always right. Really? When? Now he's being funny. I remember a few years ago, before I ever went to England, before I ever worked for Big Finish, I saw a TV series called River with uh, Stellan Sarsgaard and Nicola Walker. And 
I thought it was great, and I thought she was fantastic. And in this TV series, she's like, it's like a procedural sort of police thing, and he's the cop on the case, and she's his partner, only she's dead. And I just thought, you know, what a great actress, and, and what a great part, and what a great show. And so when I started working on the robots, I was like, wait a second. And then I checked IMDb and I was like, no way. I was so excited to be working on something that Nicola Walker was in. That's been a real thrill for me as well. And I'm sort of uh, ruining the eventual end of this series, um, hoping it's not the last time I get to work on something that she's part of. Hi, my name is Anthony Howell and I'm playing Volar Crick. Safety protocols require a code as well as a scan. Bit old fashioned. <laughs> But it'll be another one of those little changes. With the new chips, there'll be no need for any more archaic security methods. Volar Crick was in the first series, and he's a, a, a scientist, a robotic scientist. And uh, he, came, he had a, a sad story in the, in the first episode in, in um, series one. But in this episode, we find him sort of... Um, on the face of it, recovered from his bereavement. So I suppose that the theme is, um, or one of the themes, the, the sort of the thing that, certainly that Volar's involved in, is the idea of monitoring and potentially replacing and altering memories and emotions via an implant. So this idea of artificial technology or AI being kind of integrated into your being, into your personality. And the you know the upsides of of the theory behind that, how that could protect you, how it could make life easier, but also the pitfalls of what that can happen when it goes wrong, or if it's if it's uh, manipulated by a slightly more maleficent force, or just a more specifically controlling kind of force that has an agenda that's um, not quite as in favour of freedom. <laughs> So it's it's quite a it's quite a chilling kind of warning to uh, to anybody who's thinking of getting themselves chipped in any way with any kind of device. I certainly won't be. Just go to bigfinish.com and type robots five the digit five into the search pane at the top to enhance your life with this truly brilliant series. And don't forget, it will soon be time to tease you with the first 15 minutes of Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City cool. by Jonathan Barnes. But first... It's the Randomoid Selectatron offering you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. <laughs> I managed to say it without tripping up. What is it? Benji? Well, I don't think it's going to get much bigger, actually. Ooh. It is the Doctor Who, the Light at the End limited edition. Oh, wow. Definitely not going to get much bigger than that one. Goodness me, is it still available? It actually, I, I was just having a look at this. It is available, but only as a download. Okay. The, um, okay. the, uh, the print on CD is, is now out of print. The print, the print ceases, on CD. Uh, I don't know what I was saying. It ceases to be uh, it is an X print but you can still get it for download uh, wholeheartedly recommend it why? because it's got well, all the doctors in it well let's listen frankly. to the trailer you know old girl sometimes I think you're probably the finest ship ever to have sailed the vortex 
heard my word. So now we know. Now we know for sure. But why are they here, hmm? Why are all the doctors here? Hello, my dear. Doctor. What is it, Lissa? Here. Look. In the doll's house, what? Look through the window. Come on, Ace! Run! Back to the TARDIS! What's happened? Where am I? You're in the TARDIS. How do you do? I beg your pardon? Oh, no need to. I'm the Doctor, and this is... I am Leela. All of them? They were you? I'm waiting for you. There we are. Thank you very much. Very good. You t- took the words out of my oh, mouth. Oh, sorry, sorry. You, 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 did, you saved me a job. Huh. Doctor Who magazine uh, reviewed this one and says, uh, pure gold. Nice. Which is great, unless you're a Cyberman, in which case, not not so good. Well, that's the only review they've put there. There were loads of reviews for it. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. It was a nice I, review. I'll tell you why. It's probably because there are a few different editions, aren't there? So if I go on the standard edition, it still says pure gold. <laughs> yeah, so. I knew you were on to hide, hiding to nothing there. <laughs> oh, well. Um, well, let yes, me say it's... that this, I want to tell you some stuff about Lies at the End that I haven't said for ages, uh, which is that I was dead against doing a multi-doctor story. And then, but David Richardson and John Dorney were doggedly uh, in favour of the idea. And then <laughs> Tom Baker said, don't you think uh, the, the other chaps and I should do something together for this? And so we thought, wow, if Tom Baker's in, then yeah, let's let's try and convince everyone else. Because, you know, you kind of think that Tom would be the one who wouldn't want to join in with the other doctors, but... But he did. A la the five doctors. Well, indeed. Admittedly, thought, I mean, admit, admittedly, that was so soon after he left, yes. he probably thought, oh, I've got to go back in the world. But I just yeah. I thought, we can't get a waxwork on audio. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you could try. So, And then John Dorney, I think, came up with a very basic idea of what it could be. I think he said the sun explodes and it affects all the doctors in different time zones. And I thought, ah, Okay, okay, and yeah, so there we go. So I tried to make it special for myself. I set it in a fictitious house that would have been somewhere between uh, my house and the house next door that I lived in as a kid, uh, Barnesville Crescent. And um, also there's a a character in it with a a name that's very similar to someone from my childhood. So I had a special time (laughs) doing it. Well, and also, dare I say it as well, um, this is the first and uh, one of the only credits that um, your son has got as well. That's right, yes. As Kevin. Benedict there, Briggs as Kevin. He's the little boy playing uh, football in the uh, back (laughs) garden when the TARDIS crash lands into this person's (laughs) house, uh, which I thought was a fun idea. Um, That's so sweet. Yes, it got into the into the roof basically. He has to climb up on the roof to get into the TARDIS. I think it's the fifth Doctor's TARDIS. No spoilers. That's enough. If you haven't heard it, 
Uh, I think everyone did a cracking job on it. Uh, had lots of help with the script and what a great cast. And David Richardson, amazing, uh, you know, as the producer, getting together this disparate cast and managing to make the schedule work so that we could get all the voices we needed. And it is one of those ones where, you know, you say who's in it and the the only real answer is, well, everybody, because everybody's in it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, wow, even, yeah. even dear old William Russell's in it. Yeah. You know, we've just got everybody, Maureen O'Brien, you know, Gene Marsh, Katie Manning, Louise Jameson, Fraser Hines, Carol Ann Ford. You know, it just everybody is in it. It's, it is awesome. Well, that's the 50th anniversary, isn't it? You see? It is see? indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes. Good. Well, listen, um, you probably know the form if you've listened to the uh, podcast before. Um, but um, while, if you haven't, if you, if you haven't, while I emailed Jackie Emery at Big Finish to make sure she knows which release to attach the offer to, uh, Benji, please explain how you get the 25% discount and do it as though you were decorating a bathroom. Well, okay, so we're just going to head over to bigfinish.com, slap on a bit of this stuff first, very important there. Uh, head over to Podcast, which is just down the road from uh, British Home Stores. You want to go in there, get your paint. Uh, once you've got your paint, uh, head over to Read More, just under the blurb. You've all seen it. You know, I've, I actually saw a blurb like this the other day. Um, anyway, heading in there, there should be a, a little bit underneath these uh, picture of these two blokes. We're going to paint over that with a sort of teal colour, I think. Maybe tile it, I haven't decided nice, yet. Nice. Go on there. Just click here and enter the code back up. I've seen it a couple of times. B-U-C-K-U-P, back up. Enter that one in, all capitals, no spaces, uh, no complications. Just shove that one in right there. Uh, you can nip down a Wix, actually. They'll make you a special brew of that. Uh, do that, you get 25% off. Say my name. Say my name at the counter. There you go, 25% off. Say my name, it's back up. Put it in there, you get 25% off. <laughs> Easy as that, love. Thank you. Well done. Uh, <laughs> that was very good. It did... I suddenly realised I was just listening to you doing that and not sending the email. I like, oh, no, must get on with this. Uh, anyway. Uh, well, honestly, just, just to clarify, because that could have been confusing people, bigfinish.com, head to podcast. When you're on there, um, c- uh, click read more under the latest thing. <laughs> when you're on there, it'll have a blurb. It says, just click it, head to the code, buck up, 25% off, sorted. Mention his name. Uh, it's another corker, <laughs> Ran. Uh, next week's podcast will feature Survivor's Crusade, an audiobook based Ooh. on the classic Terry Nation series, read by the ever-brilliant Carolyn Seymour, who played Abby Grant, one of the main characters, in the original series, in the first series. And in, of course, the Big Finish audio dramas. Maybe we should do a celebration of Survivor's in the next week's. I would love that. Ooh, Do you know? I tell you how much I love Survivors. Yes. So I didn't have I didn't have internet in my new flat, so I was like, right, I need to need to bring some some home comforts. So I, I curated a selection of uh, DVDs yeah. and Blu-rays, and I, I took with me Spearhead from Space because yes. it was just the closest one that I had to hand. Um, I, I took uh, Life on Mars box set, nice. great. Took the original series of Star Trek <sighs> box set, and I took Survivors. <sighs> And I thought that's just can't really go wrong. Uh, can't go wrong. Sum me up as a person, actually. It is sums um, me up as a person. <laughs> are good we the same there. person? We are. We are one. We are one. But yes, love a bit of Survivors. Superb series, all about the end of the world. Rather, <laughs> rather grim, to be honest. Laugh a minute. But but done very well. Done very well. Uh, my I tell you, my friend uh, who doesn't watch a lot of uh, old stuff, um, he asked me uh, when he had COVID. Uh, he it was actually he asked. He said, "Could you leave um, survivors outside on my doorstep? Because I need to watch wow. something. I've not got anything to watch." So I did, 
Um, and I, this was right at the start, believe it or not, before the lockdowns or anything. He was the first person I knew to get COVID. Oh. And hilariously, he was the first person who said, don't worry, I don't have COVID. And, and this was like in the first week of it all being, and he got COVID. So I put it, I left it on his doorstep and he watched all the survivors whilst having COVID. Um, which I, he said it was pretty scary. He said, <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he felt terrible. And he said, and it was scary watching this wow. and then turning it off to watch the news and seeing how scary that was. Crikey. But it's a great, it's a great show. Fantastic drama. That first episode particularly is exquisite, isn't it? Oh, it really is. It, you know, the the whole... I know we often wax lyrical about this, but I just think it's such a unique piece of television. Um, it's so affecting in so many different ways. And, um, and you know, it's, I, was talking, I was talking with um, Stephen Noonan, actually, about this as well. Um, and, oh, yes. you know, it's... It's because we we just consult him about everything. We do clearly yes. in, the, in this podcast. That's just a catchphrase now. But we were talk, we were talking about um, the, you know how remarkable Survivors is as a piece, and it just is. I wholeheartedly recommend everybody check it out if you've not if you've got BritBox, it's on there. Um, you can take that, but also listen to our audios. You can listen to them as standalones in their own right. Um, so you don't even need to have seen the series, but it's just brilliant. If yeah, if you fancy sort of scaring yourself. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, thank you so much for listening out there and uh, staying with us for this audio feast. From me, it's bye for now. And remember, it's all for the love of stories. Time now for Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City by Jonathan Barnes. Jonathan Barnans. What? Thank you. Well then, my dear. Here we are again. Indeed, here we are, Mr Cranfield. Uh, why so formal? You don't usually address me so. Well, we are in public, are we not? I suppose. Though nobody here knows who you are. And I have yet, alas, to come to the widespread attention of the peoples of this great nation. Ah, that will change, and very soon now, if we are successful. If. I shall visit with the Colonel later today. The detective I'll leave to you. And once these things are done, our enterprise shall thrive. Of course. I ought to know better than to doubt you. If I've had to learn one thing the hard way, it's that only the unwise man underestimates the seamstress of Peckham Rye. And that if he does so, then it's a mistake that he makes just the once. it is a self-evident fact that London is the greatest city upon God's earth, 
it cannot also be denied, even by the most loyal and devoted of her citizens, that it is scarcely a place which is to be found at its very best during the height of an English summer. When the temperature soars to its annual peak, the metropolis undergoes a transformation. First, the streets perspire and then are felt to fester. Foul scents are everywhere, comfort soon proves impossible, and as the heat wears on, the better parts of human nature start to fall into abeyance. So unhappy a state of affairs was reached in the latter days of June in the year of 1901. And as I walked one sultry Friday afternoon along that most familiar of boulevards, even Baker Street seemed to me to have fallen victim to this disagreeable tendency. How relieved I was then when, climbing the stairs to 221B, I found within something of a cool sanctuary, presided over, as ever, by my sagacious friend. <sighs> Watson, my dear fellow, how fine it is to see you. And you, Holmes. <laughs> Dear me, but I fear that this warm spell is far from agreeing with you. I should have thought that your numerous international exploits as a younger man might have set you in rather better stead for this comparatively rare phenomenon. It is a different kind of heat, Holmes, from that which one encounters in the deserts of Afghanistan. Indeed. Well, I cannot say that it troubles me unduly. London is so often a place of mist and damp, I find that I rather welcome this brief foray into an alternative clime. <laughs> Besides, I'll warrant that the heat will break soon. A good English storm shall set us right again. Still, for now, pray take a seat, and please, you must feel quite at liberty to remove your jacket. Thank you. And let me see if I can provide you with a drink to ease your discomfort, at least to some small degree. I'd be very much obliged. <laughs> a whiskey and soda, is it? Oh, more soda than whiskey, I think, given the time of day and this perpetual heat. Of course. Uh, now, uh, to what precisely do I owe this unexpected visit? For once, there is no particular reason. I simply had a day away from the new practice, and it occurred to me that it had been altogether too long since we had last met. And so, before I knew it, I found myself in the vicinity of Baker Street and strolling happily to your door. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. And somehow that is still more true when there is, for once, no overriding urgency, no matter of life and death. Yeah. Thank you. Might I suggest a toast? To happy and unexpected meetings. To happy and unexpected meetings. <laughs> oh. Although honesty compels me to admit that you have arrived at a moment which may not be quite so uneventful as you have supposed. I did wonder at your good humour, especially given the marked paucity of criminal incident to have drifted in your direction of late. Yes. Well, you always did see through me. You do have a case, then? Or at least the glimmerings of one? Perhaps. Certainly not more than an hour ago, I received a communication of a decidedly curious kind. Tell me more. A message came from an American gentleman who sports the rather splendid name of Ephraim Gill. He means to call upon me imminently, and to engage me, he says, upon a certain matter which has to do with the nature of evil itself. 
But forgive me, I'm forgetting my manners. Your new practice is treating you kindly? I can tell from your pocket watch and from the decidedly contemporary cut of your jacket that it is, if nothing else, proving rather lucrative. Uh, that's true, Holmes. Yet it is honest, hard work. Of course it is, of course it is. Splendid! And your new wife, Doctor. How, pray tell, is she? Now, I am a little saddened to have to report that in recent years I have received a number of letters of a dismayingly intrusive and sometimes even prurient nature concerning the exact names and number of those ladies whom I have been fortunate enough in my long life to have wed. Although some curiosity is perhaps an understandable trait, I do not welcome such peering into this particular quarter of my private life. Let it suffice to say that the wife to whom Mr. Holmes referred on that torrid afternoon was none other than the former Miss Genevieve Dumont. Following a melancholy sequence of events which I have recorded elsewhere, we were married shortly before the Christmas of 1900. The event was of a joyous character, well attended, and much enjoyed by all. Any more than that, with the greatest of respect, you do not need to know. Genevieve is very well, thank you. And, of course, she sends her best regards. Indeed. Well, my good wishes are quite naturally to be conveyed also unto her. In point of fact, she's very busy at present, rehearsing for a play due to open shortly upon the West End. Oh, yes? Oh. <laughs> and what is the production this time? Another melodrama? Another farce? It's King Lear. Oh. And who is she to play? Cordelia, the good daughter. Then I wish her luck. The part is a fine match, even if perhaps the lady may now be considered just a little too senior for the role. Nonetheless, I was hoping, we were hoping, you might like to attend the opening night. As it happens, it's only a matter of days away. How generous an invitation. Yet I fear my own duties may, for now, keep me from such pleasures. But I thought, this letter of yours aside, that things were quiet. After all, the London underworld is not what it was. Not since the rise to power of a certain lady. These things are true, yet one never knows, does one? Quite when another remarkable incident will tumble into our lives. When another client will appear. When that bell will ring once more. Do you know, I really thought it might ring. Alas, it seems not. Now, you mentioned, my dear fellow, this question of the London underworld, and it is true that the individual whom we still know only as the seamstress is evidently running a very tight ship indeed. Forgive me, Holmes, but it rather seems to me as though you are endeavouring to change the subject. Nonsense. Whatever makes you think so. Aha! And so the bell does toll. Your American visitor? Let us hope so. From the tone of his letter, I think he'll have quite a tale to tell. Then I suspect I ought to leave you to him. Genevieve will be back tonight for supper. Oh, my dear Watson, I should much prefer your company. But, but if you have to leave, I understand. We must, after all, hurry home. Though the heat outside would seem to me to be as oppressive as ever. And here is our client. Forgive me, my client. Do come in! It will not, I think, surprise you to learn that my hesitation in this matter was at best merely temporary. I had intended to leave and go back to my bride, yet I never could resist the lure of mystery. And so, that afternoon, when the door opened and a plump, 
mustachioed American gentleman walked in, whose face seemed to me to be symptomatic of sustained dread in its purest form. I really had no choice at all but to stay. And which of you gentlemen is Mr. Holmes? This is Sherlock Holmes, sir. I am his biographer and friend, Dr. Watson. A mighty fine thing to make the acquaintance of you both. I, sirs, am Ephraim Gill. Welcome, Mr. Gill. You got my note, Mr. Holmes? I did. And I see by your countenance that those matters at which your correspondence only hinted weigh heavily indeed upon your mind. They surely do, sir. Take a seat. We have drink, if you will have one, and we would be most interested to hear your story. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Though, if it's all the same to you, I do believe I'll decline the offer of liquor. When you've seen the things I've seen and planted in your imagination, such thoughts as I have endured, why, it can grow quite hard indeed to set aside the bottle. Quite. And I understand something of that to which you refer. Take your time, Mr. Gill. Tell us your own tale in your own fashion with as much detail as you like. Oh, you're both mighty kind. Yet, the truth is so grisly that I hardly know where best to begin. Then allow me to assist you, Mr. Gill. You hail from one of the great cities of your nation, though you have travelled the length and breadth of America in the course of your career. You have come to London in pursuit of another, one upon whose trail you have long been set. Your former colleagues would disapprove of your present actions. You ate a lunch today of cold ham and are already regretting that decision, for you have, in later years, become something of a martyr to your stomach. I trust that these trifling observations go some distance towards establishing the basis of your account. Mr. Holmes, they're all straight on the nail. Quite a feat, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure. Why, I reckon it's a common enough trick. Common, sir? Wasn't much in that little biography of yours which mightn't have been gleaned in advance. Oh? The business about my lunch is plain from the stain on my left lapel. Its effect upon my innards was showed by the wince of discomfort when I sat down. My accent gives away my hometown. The only thing I cannot fathom is why you think my old companions would be so set against my presence here. Your cigarette case. Engraved in gratitude for long service. Just now I saw you reach for it only to place the thing back in your waistcoat with a look of sombre resignation. Oh, it's only that. So, like I said, all common enough. And you've not even mentioned the surely self-evident fact that I was myself a detective. I worked once for the Pinkerton Agency. Is that so, Mr. Black? It is, sir. Yes. Well, come along, then. The day is a hot one, and time is against us. Tell us, please, precisely why you have come to 221B Baker Street. Mr. Holmes, the land of my birth is a vast and wild place. There are pockets of civilized living well enough, but a great deal of the place is still fierce savage and untamed. Although we share a language, it ain't nothing like your little island. 
For there are in my nation great and uncultivated regions of sand, forestry, and dark earth, where nothing human lives and where nature has full reign. It is a country so large that a man might hide in it as easily as a droplet of water in the ocean. And you can take it from me when I say that there are many secret spaces where sin and vice can hide and flourish. Now, in the course of my work as a Pinkerton man, I saw more of my homeland than most of my fellow Americans, crisscrossing our country by means of the railroad. And as I traveled, investigating cases, solving most of them, and doing all I could to make things hot for the criminal classes, I started to understand that this experiment in democracy, this crucible of our founding fathers, contained within it, thanks to its size and depth and technology, an opportunity unprecedented in the whole of human history for any man who would care to turn his hand to repeated murder. Our cities are engines of humanity and labor, full to bursting and all but overrun. Here, a killer might hide with absolute impunity. Here he might lose himself amongst his fellow man, kill once and move on before he was even so much as suspected. An assassin might murder monthly in a different pocket of our United States and never once have to return to the location of any previous crime. Such law enforcement as we possess is so fractured that the criminal might pass undetected for the whole of his career. 